Jill Rutter is a former senior civil servant who worked at the Treasury Number no. 10 and now is a senior research fellow at, at the UK in a changing Europe. Morning to you, Jill. Good morning. What can you tell us about Sue Gray? Uh, Sue Gray, she's been a civil servant for a long time. Uh, she really made her name rising up the ranks in the Cabinet Office uh, to be Director General of Propriety and Ethics. So she used to be the person asked by the then Cabinet Secretary, Gus O'Donnell or Jeremy Hayward, to go and investigate uh, ministers on the Prime Minister's behalf. So she's done this sort of stuff before. She then very interestingly went off uh, for a couple of years and was the Permanent Secretary of the Department of Finance in Northern Ireland put her hat in the ring to be the head of the Northern Ireland Civil Service. And quite a lot of people thought she'd be really quite a good candidate to shake that up. It's a separate civil service, but when you went out there, people spoke of her as really a breath of fresh air into the rather small world of the Northern Ireland Civil Service. But the DUP and Sinn Féin couldn't agree on a candidate. So they had to do that as First Minister and Deputy First Minister. Sue Gray came back. And her day job, if you like, is to be the second permanent secretary, partly based in the cabinet office, partly based with Michael Gove at his you know, housing, levelling up uh, communities department in charge of what are called intergovernmental relations. So she's really supposed to be the top official in charge of helping Mr Gove with his task of managing relationships with the devolved administrations. Mm. She's relatively old. Uh, she's 64, so you might say this is possibly her last job, but it may not be. She may have ambitions to go further. But the sort of interesting thing is, I mean, in terms of civil service reports, the person she'll report to is the permanent section at, uh, at her Department of Communities, etc., etc. but also Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary. Right. The reason she's got this job is that he had to recuse himself mm. because of stories that he'd been at uh, one or more of these parties. Well, exactly. Um, so with these kind of um, internal investigations, what powers does she have? What can she ask to see? Is there anything that, that, that people can refuse? Well, it's sort of interesting because um, if civil servants refusing, um, I mean, they're not formal powers in the sense of being a sort of external advisor with statutory powers to demand information. Mm. But what you would normally expect is that everybody is told to cooperate fully mm -hmm. with the inquiry. And because of civil service investigation, most of the things will be with civil servants that the cabinet secretary will say, you've got to make all information you have available and make yourself available for questioning by Sue Gray. But she's not, uh, she's not the police. So she doesn't have those sorts of sorts of powers uh, and you would say possibly that you know if you were tempted to mislead sue or not disclose things to sue mm. then it would probably be a disciplinary offense within your department as a civil servant um quite what her jurisdiction is over special advisors is quite interesting because their reporting line is into their minister and to the prime minister rather than into the civil service mm. Um, and then in terms of conclusions of, of her investigation, is she just going to lay out the facts? Because she can't actually, uh, I mean, she can't, well, what can she do in terms of the individuals involved? And because many people are interested in, of course, what uh, what the, the Prime Minister's involvement was at this point, what Martin Reynolds, uh, you know, she, what she should conclude about Martin Reynolds, the, the, the civil servant, the PPS who sent the email in the first place. So what what can she conclude well, that's uh, sort of quite interesting as to how far does she take it. Um, 
So I think her remit is to look at, you know, to investigate stories that there were parties. You could say uh, that her task has been made rather easier by yesterday's revelations because it looks a bit slam dunk that there was at least one rather big party mm. uh, and she should lay out the facts about those parties. Then there's a really interesting question, how far does she go? Does she go and tell us who initiated those parties, um, who turned a blind eye to those parties, were they done with the Prime Minister's assent or not? Very difficult to hold a party in the back garden of Number 10 Downing Street without asking the Prime Minister mm. or without him knowing about it. So does she go there? What's not for her to do, though, is to do the consequences of it. Uh, so she won't be responsible for disciplining any civil servants named who might be held responsible. She won't be responsible for um, the fate of any special advisors. She won't be responsible for the fate of the prime minister. Interesting whether she sort of makes any sort of recommendations. In particular, does she say anything at all um, about one of the possibilities might be that she could say that she thinks that these are issues that the Prime Minister might want to refer to the famous Lord Geit we were talking about last week, Mm. uh, who sort of advises the Prime Minister on potential breach of the ministerial code or to the Parliament or the Prime Minister should refer himself to the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner. She may want to do that. She may want to go that far to look as though it's not all the sort of, you know, cover-up job. Um, But the trouble is that then... The sort of disciplining of civil service comes back to Simon Case, mm. um, you know, who had to recuse oh, himself. Gosh. So it gets mm. incredibly tortured and really, really difficult. But at the moment, her big task is to actually lay out what the facts are and perhaps to tell us why did the people in number 10 think that these gatherings, you know, business meetings that just happened to have some wine and cheese turning up, why did they think they were compatible with the rules? And were some of them deemed to be compatible with the rules and others not? And she's not just looking at number 10 parties. We heard stories about parties in the Treasury, parties in the Department for Education as well. But those two departments came out up front, said, put their hands up, said, yes, we had sort of parties, only involved people in the office anyway. In retrospect, a bit unwise and we're sorry. And I know Jenny Finkelstein's got a big piece saying yeah. it's the parties, not the cover-up, that's the problem. But you do feel that Number 10 has made this a whole lot worse for themselves by refusing to acknowledge anything uh, in December and by making this you know, into a very, very, very long-run story. Mm. Uh, just finally, you, you were a, a, a senior civil servant. This, I'm interested really in the effect of all of these allegations that you say you know, have been swirling around for a while and they haven't really been put to bed. They've been kind of you know, put on the back burner really because of the, the, the investigation that's going to conclude hopefully at the end of next week. Um, but uh, what is the actual effect on, on civil servants? Because, for example, with this party that Martin Reynolds set out, sent out the email, he invited 100 people and only like 30 or 40, t- only 30 or 40 people turned up. The rest obviously did not because they thought it was a it was a terrible idea. And now what we're getting is we're getting a lot of leaks about, oh, this happened. Someone made a joke about, oh, I hope there are no drones falling over. So all this stuff is kind of leaking out, presumably because there's quite a bit of disquiet in the ranks. So, so I think there are two, two sets of different problems. One Internal relations in Downing Street must be really quite difficult at the moment because it's very clear that someone somewhere has access to an awful lot of really damaging material about what went on in Number 10 and is prepared to use it. Now, that may all be with the sort of, you know, advisors who left. Uh, It may not be current people, but you can imagine that 
inside number 10, where it's a very small place. I mean, it is a bit like uh, a house. I mean, you know, it's a big house, but it's quite like a house. And I think that's one reason why they fell into these rather casual ways of doing things. It's not like any normal office you've ever worked in. So I think uh, that's the internal relations. But I think more generally, I think there'll be real disquiet from the top ranks of the civil service that Simon Case and Sue Gray potentially are putting the civil service in a really invidious position of having to investigate not just their colleagues, potentially report them, you know, open the way to some police action there, but ultimately, you know, have a sort of Damocles sort of hanging over the prime minister. Because mm. if Sue Gray says there was a party the prime minister went, he knew about it, then it's pretty clear that the prime minister, Douglas Ross, I think, was uh, saying to yesterday that the prime minister misled the house. And that's mm. a terrible position for the civil service to be in. And it really just shows up that the civil service should not be charged with doing these sorts of investigations, particularly not when they involve the Prime Minister. Mm. Jill, thank you very much for that. That's Jill Rutter, former senior, senior civil servant and now a senior research fellow at UK in a changing Europe.